chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, Paul is thanking the church for their care of him, okay? And so he's, he, he does that in verse number 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also were careful but lacked opportunity. They had always been a blessing to Paul, but then some things had arisen in the church that hindered that, and they weren't able to um, contribute support to Paul's ministry like they had at one time. And so he thanks them in verse 10 that, that now that things had picked back up and they were able to continue to help him because he, he depended on that. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Verse 11, notice this in particular. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Father, would you... Open your word to us and give us today, dear God, what we um, have need of. Speak to our hearts and, and do for us and in us and through us that which you would do. And uh, bless this day in your name we pray these things. Amen. Last Sunday, rather than bringing a Thanksgiving message, I finished our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, then... Uh, we followed that last Sunday night with a Thanksgiving service that was just such a blessing to me. And we, we concluded that service with communion. And uh, boy, it was just such a blessed time together, uh, both Sunday morning and then Sunday night. And I'm grateful for what God did in those services. But today I, I want to talk with you about the power of contentment. The power of contentment. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to be content where you are? I mean, let's be honest about it. There are certain situations that arise in our life, and, 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 and they're so distressing and so disturbing that we struggle with the thought of being content where we are. How, how can I be content when my world is imploding? How, how can I be content when, when uh, the, the, a storm is raging through my life and shaking my foundation and causing me to question my sanity and my faith and everything about me. How, how, how can I claim contentment when there's nothing in my life right now that is really going very well? I want you to know this in beginning, and that is simply this, that Thanksgiving and contentment share the same DNA. You cannot have contentment without thanksgiving, and you can't have thanksgiving without contentment. Okay? They depend upon each other. They, they, they give each other the credentials to exist. Okay? I have to be thankful to be content. I have to be content in order to be thankful. And by the way, let me just say this to you because I think this is significant. That's true for individuals. It's also true for family. And it's definitely true for churches. 
Churches have, churches have characteristics. I knew of a guy that took a church that had been through a number of different problems over the years and <coughs> excuse me, had been entrenched in that. And, and um, a friend of mine, we were praying for him, and he asked me, he said, how, how do you think things are going to go, go? And I said this to him. I said, my concern is the DNA of the church. It, it has a particular DNA, churches do, where, where they're either happy people or sad people or they're uh, incredibly uh, griping and complaining, and a church develops that type of DNA where they're malcontented or dis, you know, discouraged atmosphere within the church itself. And, and so it can be that... that um, uh, a church loses its thankfulness and loses its contentment. And sometimes, even as individuals, we become discontented. And family units can be infected by that same toxic attitude. Whereas, all of a sudden, everything in the family becomes discontented. Can I, can I throw something out to you parents? Could I help you with something? that I learned a long time ago in my marriage, and that is, whatever it is that you are conflicted about, why don't you try doing that in a closet 40 miles away, hiding in the attic, lock yourselves in the basement. But in the name of a righteous, holy God who loves your family, don't do that in the open. You're spreading toxicity in your family. You're killing the very thing that desperately needs your life's blood. At our table, one of the things we tried to do, and my home certainly isn't, I'm not setting it up as, as the model home. I'm just sharing some things that God gave me. And one of the things I tried to do was make our table a time of thanksgiving, not a time of hashing out people that had hurt me and that had insulted me and problems that we were facing in one ministry or the other ministry. We tried to make the table a place of blessing, a place where we shared the goodness of God in our life and encouraged each other. Churches and families can lose their spirit of gratitude as well as individuals. There's a balance, okay, now I'm, I know where I'm going, so just ride with me for a few minutes. There's a balance between asking big, bringing big requests to a big God to do big things. And one of the things I encourage young men, don't, don't be afraid to pray big, okay? We're, we're, we're praying big, we're, we ask God to, to, to bring us to a place that's our own. And, and you know what? God's going to do that. Just, just watch, God's going to do that. He's going to do it. So there's nothing wrong with asking big, but there's a balance between asking a big God to do big things by big prayer. Okay? And that is to become content with the answers that God gives you at the time. God doesn't always come through when we anticipate or insist that God comes through. Sometimes we pray for something, on a Monday, and we don't get it until Friday or five or ten Fridays away. So don't give up on your big prayers, but learn in the time period between your big prayer 
and God's big answer, learn within that time period that God is training you, He's teaching you, He is, he is molding you, He is mellowing you, and He is trying to bring you to a place to where you can be content with just who He is in your life. That's, that's so very important. When we ask a big prayer and God doesn't give a big answer, He must have a big reason for not doing so. And we have to learn how to know Him well enough to accept that. Let me help you with this. If you're God's child, God wants the very best for you. And sometimes the best does not come packaged right away like we want it to be. But God knows you. Listen to me. God loves you more than He loves, more than anybody else loves you. I love my wife with all my heart. I'm so thankful for her. Sometimes I'll be riding somewhere and I just think about God's goodness to me by, by his, his, his blessing on my life, you know, 47 years ago when, when I married her because she looked good and I had no idea everything else that came with it. And I, I'm so thankful for that. But you know this, did you know that God loves Susie more than I do? As much as I love her and as deep as I love her, God loves her more than I do. And so there's nobody, not your mama, not your daddy, not your spouse. Nobody loves you as much as God does. And so God, God must have a big reason. If you want it, and there's nothing sinful about it, God must have a really big reason for not delivering it when you ask for it. Ten years ago, a real estate ad showed up in, in uh, my email, my, my inbox, and I noticed that the castle on Cuna Road was for sale for $350,000 with 5.6 acres of land. I thought, my, 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 what a place. That's amazing. So I met a real estate agent over there, and we walked through the house, and, and uh, he did some paperwork for us and brought me a, a stack about this big to show me what was going to happen to attempt to turn a residential um, uh, home into a church building. And public hearings and transportation studies had to be done. And, and back in those days, we're talking 10 years ago, we certainly weren't financially able to do any of that. And, and then, then there was the expense of expanding the parking lot and, and providing more restroom facilities. If I came out of that with anything, if I came out of that initial study, with, with any reason, because you know, you're coming from Georgia where you could build anything and not ask anybody and everybody comes over and has supper with you. And, and, and so we built a fellowship hall on, on uh, First Church I Pastor, we built a fellowship hall on and I spent $35 for a piece of paper telling me I could do it and that's all. That was it. Nobody came, nobody checked, nobody saw, nobody did anything. We just built it. So I come to Idaho and I find out there's differences in that. Okay, in California, you have to give what, what is it an arm or a kidney? I know, but anyhow, there, there's more required even in California. And, and, and so I found out all these studies, and then I found out about how many restrooms had to be provided. And, and if I got anything out of that, I got so, I, I came away from that with such a secure feeling uh, that the government is in the business of determining how many times people go to the potty. That was such a blessing to me. To know, to know that the government was in the potty business, and of all people we want determining that, I certainly am thankful that they are. And the reality of the matter is, people don't go to the restroom anymore today than they did 30 years ago. 
but the requirements are absolutely insane. And, and he talked about uh, the issues about parking lot lights and so on and so forth. So the Lord closed the door to that. I was excited because I want you to think about this. My thoughts were we will drop the name Baptist, lose all of our doctrine, and we'll just go to the generic name, the castle. <laughs> Son, the nest, you know, the river. You know, it's, just, it's funny to me, all the, all the generic names. So we were going to be the castle, and, you know, our, our motto would be our father is the king and we meet in the castle. But Susie insisted to be the queen, and I just said, okay, that's it. It's over. We're not, we're not going to be able to do that. I'm cutting up. Um, so we went back to meeting 10 years ago back in the daycare, okay? And we, we set up and, and took down, and then God led us to Falcon Ridge where we're here, and, and I'm so grateful for that. And Mark had such a humongous part in, in that, and we're, we're grateful for that. Every Saturday we set up. Every Sunday we take down after service. We'll do that in just a little bit when we dismiss. This place will turn into a beehive and people will be moving. Everybody knows what they're doing and uh, everybody gets their job done. And we have people that come and they stop and they say, dude, I was amazed at what happened when you said amen. I was amazed at what went on. And I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testimony and, and, uh, about how people just jump in. And, and, and some of us have been doing this for over 17 years. Now look at me. What a privilege. What an amazing privilege. Are you kidding me? We're burdened? No, we're not burdened. We're blessed. The reality, the reality that we get to come into the house above all houses, the place that bears the name of God, and that we get to set up and take down... Look, let's don't whine and cry for ourselves. Let's thank God for the great privilege that we serve the King. No matter how big, no matter how insignificant the task may be, whatever that's done in Jesus' name, it, it, whether it's a cup of cold water or, or whatever it might be, God blesses that. We're, we're, not, we're not burdened. You know, people say, they've been setting up for 17 years. Yeah. And we will get our building. And when we do get our building, listen to me. When we do get our building, we're going to have to be creative in ways that replace what we do every Saturday and every Sunday because it's a part of our DNA and who we are, and it's a part of what draws us together as a church. We're invested in this place. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. So, so it's not poor us, we get to serve the king. It's not that we feel sorry for ourselves. We're, we're laying up treasures in heaven every single week. And, and we get to be invested in the only organization that Jesus instituted during his earthly sojourn. Thank God, thank God for that. Now, Paul writes that I have found whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, let me say this. If he's referring to Idaho, I'm all in, okay? I like it. I'm all in. I like Idaho, love it. It's a postcard. Man, it's absolutely beautiful everywhere you look. Sometimes I ride down the road and just look at the mountains capped off by snow, and I just think, somebody's got to live here. Might as well be me. It's beautiful. It's a postcard. I love this place. It's outdoorsy. I like everything about it. I, I thank God for it. I, I enjoy it, and, and, and it's a blessing. But, but Paul's not talking about Idaho. Paul said, 
I found whatsoever state of life, whatever condition, whatever my circumstances are, I have found in that, I've learned, I've learned in every situation, every circumstance to be content. Well, now that changes things. Okay. So when you think about Paul's life, you, you become a little more amazed at those words. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 24. Look at, look at, look at, let's, let's think about Paul for a moment. Look, look at what he writes. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. That means five times he got 39 lashes. And yet Paul said, you know what I've learned? I've learned that whatever my situation is, whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. And so Paul gives us there just a little snapshot of, of a little photo album of some of the situations that he faces in life. And so when Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11, I've learned this. Now, Paul didn't say, hey, I knew this from the beginning. Oh, no, 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 no. This isn't, this isn't something that, 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 that just comes with a package deal. No, you get saved and you have to grow spiritually. And Paul said, let me tell you something I've learned in my journey through all of these different things that, that I listed to the church at Corinth. I've learned in all of that, okay, just to be content. And that's amazing. Now, we're going to switch our minds, okay? I want you to, I'm, I'm going to assume something about you. And if, if, if my assumption is wrong, then I want you to go home and I want you to read Genesis 37 through 50, okay? Genesis 37 through 50. Because we looked at Paul, but now for the crux of, of our message, the, the next little bit we're together, I want to refer to another guy in the Bible who exhibited contentment in the middle of really, really, really bad circumstances and bad situations. It just kept, it just kept getting, I mean, it kept getting worse, and then things would look hopeful, and then it'd turn worse again, okay? And hope deferred maketh the heart sick. The Bible says that. I want to talk with you about Joseph. I want to talk with you about Joseph. And, and again, I'm assuming that you have some Bible knowledge on Joseph. If you don't, just make some points about what I'm saying and then go back and read his story in Genesis 37 through, through 50. We know the story of Joseph. He was a dreamer. And we know that his brothers were extraordinarily jealous of him. Whether Joseph was really wise or not to talk about all his dreams in front of his brothers, he did. 
And so ultimately, they were going to kill him and, and wound up selling him to some Ishmaelite uh, a, a caravan that wound him up over a period of time into Potiphar's house and uh, sold as a common slave for a handful of silver. And, and there he is, Joseph, not in Jacob, his father's house, not with his brethren. He is enslaved. Out, He did nothing wrong. He just told them a dream that God had given him, and he winds up, he winds up as a slave in a, in a faraway place. Well, Potiphar's wife notices he's a hard worker and a good-looking young man, and she approaches him with, with immoral intentions. Joseph refuses those, and so she screams out, makes false accusations against Joseph. He's thrown into, uh, he's thrown into uh, prison. And in prison, uh, he, he gains, again, his character, his Christian character comes out, he gains favor, and, and then ultimately the long story is short, that he, the, he comes and he, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him, winds up being set over, he's the second most powerful man in the kingdom, uh, famine hits Israel, his family's going to die, so they come to buy corn in Egypt, and they meet Joseph, and they don't know it's Joseph, and he literally is used by God to save his family's life, save the nation of Israel. And, uh, and finally, he and his brothers are reunited. So from his life, and again, read it if, if, if you're not familiar. From his life, I want to make a couple of points. First point I want to make is this uh, about contentment, is that contentment is focusing on the present, not the past. Okay? Contentment is focusing on the present, not the past. Think, of, think about Joseph, if you would, and, and where he had been and what he had been through and sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and living amongst strangers. Can you imagine that? Here's a guy, here's a guy that, that, that had a comfortable life. Now all of a sudden, he's, he's amongst strangers. His family, listen, he's done nothing wrong. He's facing absolute, and this isn't fair. This isn't just. I thought God was just. I thought God would watch out for me. I, I thought God loved me. If God loved me, why am I in this prison all these miles away from my family? Why did God allow this? Why did God let this happen in my life? And yet not one single time from chapter 37 through chapter number 50, not one single time do you ever detect that Joseph ever felt abandoned by God. He, ne he, never, he never felt like, like, like uh, God had abandoned him. And there's not a singular... Listen, can you, imagine, can you imagine where you would be in this situation or where I would be in this situation? There's not a single hint of bitterness in Joseph's life. Later when he's uh, falsely accused by Miss Potiphar and wrongly imprisoned for years, you, you know what he does? He, he, he manages to rise above the past... And you know what he did? He made the most out of the present. You see, contentment is when we get to the place to where we're able to look at the now, focus at the now, and not always constantly be casting our eyes behind us at what, at what once was, at what could have been, should have been. Okay? We're not always looking back and saying, well, why the change? Changes happen in all of our lives. 
let me say this to you. Listen carefully to this statement. God cannot bless you where you were. This is really going to be good because you ain't there no more, okay? God can't bless you where you were. You're not there anymore. He can only bless you where you are. And if you're living in the past, if you're living outside of the now, you're probably missing some blessings that God has for you right in the middle of your present circumstances. You can't change your past, but you can let it go. And, and, and don't let it paralyze you. Neither a bad past or a good past. Sometimes we're haunted by what once was. Listen, listen to me. These two words with a question mark behind them, what if? What if? They will destroy you. Because what if doesn't exist? What if is long disappeared into the mist of what once was? And what if will haunt you? And what if will keep you awake at night? And what if will turn you bitter? And what if will take away whatever contentment you may have? And what if, what if, what if, what if takes away all the joy and all the blessings that God can bring to you right now in your present situation? So don't live under the curse, the haunting curse of what if. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are, which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So let's, listen, let's, let's learn the lesson. Okay, I've got to let go of some things. There's not a person in here. There's not one single person in here. There's not one. Not one. Nobody that's outside of that, of, that, of that truth today. And that is this, that, that, that there have been changes in your life that you did not invite, you did not want, they are not welcome, you're not happy with them, and, 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 and you're not glad they're here. Okay, But what we have to do is we, we have to forget how we once had life painted, and we have to look at life as it is, and somehow in this situation... I've got to find out how I can serve God with, with a contented heart. Number two, so, so contentment is not looking behind you. It's not focusing on the past. It's living in the now. Okay? I, I was content then. Good night. We were happy then. Everything was hunky-dory then, but it ain't so hunky-dory now. Okay, well then, what have I got to do? Well, I can't live back there because that's gone, so I've got to learn how to live right here. Okay? Number two, contentment is focusing on what you have, not on what you don't have. Now, if you miss everything else I say today, this is, I, just, I just beg you, I beg you, please focus on this point. If, if everything else goes out, okay. If you, only have, if you only came today with just a little bit of an attention span, okay. Okay, let's, let's just, let's like everything else is a commercial, and, and this, is the, this is the crux. So, so please don't miss this today. Because contentment is focusing on what you have, not on what you don't have. That's true for all of us. Look with me in Genesis 39. Would you go there? Let's look at the story of Joseph. I want to show you something. Genesis 39. 
Genesis 39, verse number 7. Genesis 39, 7. Watch this. So, so here's, this is when Potiphar's wife approaches young Joseph, okay? She's propositioning him for immoral purposes. Look at this answer, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me, verse 8. But he refused. Now watch why he refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Do you know what Joseph is saying there? That what he had been denied in comparison to what he had been given was minuscule. He said, do you understand this? He gave me everything. Everything he's got, he's put under my charge. Everything. I've got so much, I've got so much that what you're telling me I've been denied with, what you're telling me I've been denied with, is minuscule in comparison with everything else God's given me. Why would I surrender all of that for the one thing that I, that I don't have? I've been given so much and denied so little that I'm not going, and here's the key, I'm not going to, last three words, sin against God. God has blessed me. God has given me so much. I'm not going to look at the one thing I can't have. I'm going to look at everything that God has given me. You see, so contentment is focusing on what you have, not on what you don't have. Adam and Eve were only denied one single tree. One tree. One tree. Everything else was theirs. Every single thing else was theirs. But Satan came along and said, hey, uh, don't look at what God's given you. It's everywhere. Good night. Don't look at all this. Don't forget the tree over there. And so he got them, listen, he got Adam and Eve looking at the one thing that they did not have, and they focused on what they didn't have rather than on what they did. Look at me. If, if he can get you, if he can get you focused on if he can get you focused on the thing that you, that you think you want, the thing that you don't have, if he can get you zeroed in, well, I want, uh, this is the thing I really, if, you can, if he can get you to do that, then you're going to lose your gratitude, lose your thankfulness, lose your contentment, and you'll become bitter. And your bitterness will show up in life. You'll feel ripped off, cheated. You'll become abrasive and critical of others. And the real reason is because you think somehow God's cheated you and God's, God's ripped you off. Anytime that we stress what we've been denied over what we have been given, we become discontented and we're targets for a fall. That's Israel's journey into the promised land. Are you kidding me? A land flowing with milk and honey? And they come to the land and, and they bring back grapes of Eskel. Dude, look at this. I mean, this, this place is amazing. This is the land God chose for us. However, one problem, 
What's the one problem? Giants. So they focused, they focused, they focused on that one negative and forgot everything that God had given them. And they turned around and went back into the wilderness crying about leeks and garlics that they had left behind in the place where they were well familiar with the taskmaster's whip. I'm just telling you, when we stress what we've been denied over what we've been given, we become discontented and we're targets for a fall. We're not just talking about a bad attitude, we're talking about a bad life. You better... You better keep your gratitude. Bob Jones Sr. said, When gratitude is died on the heart of a man, that man is well nigh gone. When gratitude has died on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh gone. My wife, I spoke of her earlier, the queen of my life. My wife, wow, okay, I'll move on from that. Obviously, you don't think as much of her as I do. Um, you know what, let me, can I say this about my wife? My, my wife is more to me than what she is not to me. She, she is so much more to me than what she is not to me. Okay? She's not a fishing partner. We went fishing one time on the Aguichi River, and she left my tackle box on the landing. I mean, we're down setting the anchors out, and she left my tackle box. Now, did she do that on purpose? Yes, yeah, she doesn't like fishing. She will not bait the hook, okay? She will not take the fish off of the, off of the hook. And so, in fact, she won't clean the fish. But anyhow, so, so but, but in all reality, I'm, I'm cutting up. The reality of the matter is, is this. Um, my wife is so much more to me than what she's not. If I focus on her negatives, you know what happens to me? I become discontent with her. And very much vice versa, you see. Um, you know why crime happens? Because people aren't content. You know why crime happens? Because people uh, emphasize what they don't have. I don't have it. He does. I'm going to get it. I don't have it, but it's in that store window. Crime happens because people emphasize what they, what they don't have. You know why people leave church? It's because they, they emphasize what the church is not, what it doesn't have rather than what it does. And when I talk with people, when I talk with people, I, I, can, I can flip the hourglass and watch the sand go out because I know their time is limited. You know why? Because they're looking at what we don't have rather than what we do. And eventually they'll leave and they do. And, and, and the sad thing is that can become a cycle in people's lives. You see. We have to look at we have to look at what we do have rather than focusing on what we don't. Number three, contentment is faith that God is still in control. Look in verse number nine. He said, and we're in Genesis, Genesis there, um, and, and, and he says this, How can I do this great wickedness and how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39, verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he's saying there? He's just simply saying, God. God's in this. So she's saying to him, leave it all. No, no. Forget everything that's happened good to you. There's one thing. There's one thing that's been denied you, and that's me. Potiphar's given you everything, but I don't want you to think about everything you've been given. I want you to think about the one thing you haven't been given. And I, I want you to know 
that, 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 that you can cross that line. And Joseph said this, how can I forget what's been given me and focus on the one thing I've been denied? How can I sin against God? You know what he's saying? God's in control. This is God's blessings in my life. I can't, if I sin, this has nothing to do with you and Potiphar. It has something to do with me and God. God so blessed my life. I'm not going to walk around mumbling and grumbling and crying about the things that I don't have. We've got to get to the place to where we realize, look at me, listen to me. God's in control of your life. I don't care how difficult your life is. God hasn't lost control. He was content with what God had given him would take, make the most out of it, even in prison. And he went to prison, but he was happier in prison with what he didn't have than he would have been out of prison with what she was offering him. We just passed um, Black Friday. How many of you went Black Friday shopping? Okay, good. Wow, thank both of you. All right, that's great. Okay, so guess what tomorrow is? Cyber Monday. All right. You have to go out, you get to sit at home and burn your computer up looking for stuff and ordering it and then just staring out the window as Amazon man comes and delivers or, or UPS or whatever. And, and there are deals everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I mean, everybody's got sales going on and store slash surprises to lure you in the front door and straight to the counter. And, and it's just a big time. And it's, it's a fun time and, and just seeing everything that's going. You know what, Marcus, you know what marketing is based on? It's, 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 it's based on creating a need. It's emotion-based. They're trying to get you to think, man, some of those gun ads. Anyhow, I, yeah. So I just feel some needs coming on bad. And it, but it's emotion-based rather than fact-based. Once you obtain it, and you're out of the money you spent for it, very seldom does it ever fulfill you. Okay? But it still feels good. Anyhow, so I'm just saying, you know, really, it's the latest and the most improved, and I see it and I want it, and I'm suddenly bored with what I have. Let me ask you a question. Look at me. Have you ever had a certain model of something, and they came out with a new model, and suddenly you found yourself bored with the model you had? And you just knew if you had the newer model... You'd feel better about yourself because that newer model would make you more fulfilled because your model's outdated. Let me, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a moment. You bored with God? Now, you might want to think about that before you answer. You might want to let that settle in just a little bit. You might, maybe your dissatisfaction with your life and what God's given to you is based on the fact that you're bored with what God's given you and bored with who God is for you. Curtis Hudson used to say that the greener, the greener pasture on the other side of the fence, once you get there, it's just astroturf. Okay? Can't eat it. And, and did you know this, that once you get on the other side of the fence, the greener pasture will be on the side of the fence you were just at. And oftentimes you'll, you'll would to God you could get back. You get what you want, but you lose what you already have. Last point is simply this. Contentment is being, excuse me, contentment is believing that God is enough. Let me read a verse of scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 13. Why don't you go there? Hebrews chapter 13. Let me read this for you and we'll, we'll tie a knot in this. Hebrews chapter number 13.
verse 5. Now the word conversation here is talking about more than just what we say. It's how we talk, yes, but it's also what our life says, what, our, what the statement our, life's, our lifestyle is making. So, so this is more than just talking, it's living, okay? Let your conversation, verse, chapter 13, verse 5 of Hebrews, let your conversation be without covetousness and be what? Content with such things as ye have, for he saith, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. You know what he's saying? He's saying there, don't, don't covet what you don't have. Be content that you have me. Look at me. Listen. Do you understand what this verse is teaching? This verse is teaching this, that when we're covetous, when we're not content, what we're actually saying is, I'm not happy with him. He said, don't be covetous, be content. Why, God? Because you've got me. You've, you've, you've got me. And by the way, I'll never leave you. What does that mean? You will always have me. I will never forsake you. There will never be a moment when you don't have me. I will never, ever forsake you. Um... The best gift I ever got when I was a kid at Christmas was an English racer. And you know the story of that. It's what, the one I got in a wreck on and flipped over the handlebars and smashed my face. You think I'm ugly now, Lynn. Anyhow, so, yeah, and broke my teeth off and dental surgeries and things like that. Well, I was watching American Pickers the other day. And, and up in a loft, they found a bicycle that was a Schwinn Stingray with a banana seat and the shift on the column. The seat was metal flake green. I mean, that's exactly what Kip's bike was. So I'm having flashbacks. My face started throbbing. Anyhow, no, I'm, and I said to Susie, I said, that's the bike. That's the bike that I was racing. Had it by a bike, uh, uh, half a bike link. Anyhow, I, I, that's the bike I was racing. Me and Kip going down Amar Avenue when my handbrake hit my spokes and flipped over. Man, alive. And I thought to myself, I wish I still had my English racer. Wish I had taken care, I wish I had taken care of that. You know what is long gone? Think, think of the things that you cherish that are rusted and gone. You know, the pickers go into garages and find, they find all kinds. I was watching one the other day. A guy's uncle had a 47 Indian chief, and somebody broke into the shed and stole his motorcycle. If it had been a Harley, it had been one thing, but it's an Indian. They, it should have been executed. Capital punishment. I mean, that's, that's, that's horrible. Did you know this? That there are certain things we had that we don't have anymore? But Jesus said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you why you shouldn't covet and why you should be content because you will always, always have me. I'll always be there. Now, imagine, look, contentment isn't a magic pill. It, it's, not going to, it's not going to remove your heartache or your headache or it's not going to make your problems go away. But contentment will remind you, okay, he's here. He's with me. It doesn't, it doesn't remove the scary diagnosis of cancer. And we got folks in our church that are facing that. But it does tell you that he's with you every second, every treatment, every doctor visit, every single step of the way. It doesn't take away the pain of betrayal, 
but it gives you the fellowship of one who knows betrayal like no other knows. It doesn't, it doesn't remove the ache of saying goodbye to your life's mate, but it lets you know that you're not alone in your loneliness. He's, he's there with you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing, listen to me, God is enough. Wait a minute. Well, then why does he bring other people and things? Because he's enough to bring other people into our life. God is so much enough that he knows your exact need, whether it's a car. That proves God's enough. God didn't give them a magic carpet. He, he brought somebody into their life to provide something. You know that God, God's enough to know what kind of friends you need? What kind of encouragement you need? What kind of help you? God is enough. If we'll just be content with who He is in our life, you'll find out that God will never leave you, never forsake you in every step of your way, down every dark path you ever trod. God will be there with you. And I wouldn't, listen to me, I'd rather have Him with me in my darkest moments. I've learned that at least. I'd rather have Him with me in my darkest moments than anyone else in the world. Let's, let's bow our heads, could we? Right where you're at, I, I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through, and I, I want you to know I pray for you. I do pray for you. You've got people that are on sick list and facing treatments and families that stagger with them down a trail that they never thought they'd take. Can I just tell you there's a hand you can hold that's, that's greater than any hand you'll ever hold. He, he can help you. Well, Pastor, my, I've got disappointments in my life and heartbreaks in my life. Can I just tell you that God knows that and He's there with you? Don't live in the past. Don't, don't live in what was. Don't be haunted by what if. What if is gone. What's before us is the now. Let's, let's forget those things which are behind and say, okay, God, here I am. This is what I'm facing. You know who I am. You know, you know the struggle this is for me. I need you right now, presently. Right this, I need you now in my life to make yourself known to me and to give me the contentment, the peace that will get me through this. He'll do it. Pastor, how do you know that? Because he's done it for me more than once. More than once. Our Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that in every, every step of the way, every turn in the road, every moment, every heartache, hardship, Every storm that blows our way, you're there. And only you can speak sweet peace to our souls and calm the storms that trouble us. Help us, I pray, to be content 
that you are in the ship with us and that we're safe in you. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.